0: So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com.
1: Deep dive. Today we are going to try and prove whether or not Bacetic is the heir apparent to Tiago's throne. And to do that, I've got Josh Williams with me, of course. And this time we're going to take a look back. First of all, at whose throne it is, it's Thiago's right now. It was Genie Wijnaldum's before that. Is by It's the man to move Liverpool's midfield forward? That's what we're going to try and prove today. So we're going to start by looking at Genie Wijnaldum. When we bought him from Newcastle, did you think he was A, a midfielder, uh, and B, did, did, did you think he would become a midfielder?
2: Well, I don't know, to be honest. At the time, you know, we're going right back here now. He was a um, very versatile profile, wasn't he? Um, but one thing that really shined with Wijnaldum was wherever he played, he had this nature where he just scored goals. Um, so I just knew we were acquiring a player who could potentially play as a number 10, could potentially play as a number 8. And I think in his in his only season at Newcastle United, I think he actually played out wide wing, for the yeah. most part. Yeah. So, but he
1: ripped us apart because I was at a new way end one. Yeah, day where,
2: I remember when that when game. He
1: did. It was terrible. It, it was, was, was a four. Weird. I can't remember if it was three or four, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I remember Alden.
2: Yeah, well, in this in, in his first season for Newcastle, his first and only season, the one that we bought him on the back of, he scored 14... No, he scored 11 Premier League goals and registered five assists. Yeah. And that's from a bit of a dodgy, wide position, sometimes playing as a 10, sometimes playing inside a little bit. Um, and that
1: was league only.
2: Yeah, that was league only, yeah. And if you look at his time in Holland, it was similar, in fact it was even more impressive really. In his final season for PSV, he scored fourteen times and registered three assists early on for PSV as a twenty one year old he scored fourteen times, registered five assists and in his final season for Fire he scored fourteen times and registered one assist. So no matter what he where he's played, I think I, I think I initially maybe expected a bit of a deli Alley, something like that. Like a marauding midfielder who would arrive late right timing and, uh, and put the ball on the back of the net with it, with it. I, I didn't see
1: him as a midfielder I'll be no. honest with you uh, I'm honest with everyone who's watching I, I thought we were signing him to be a, a ten or a, or a winger of some description and probably left hand side yes. um, I think when we I, I should have checked this but Marnie had just played out on the right hand side I not was that the season we were signing Mane for the right hand side so it made sense to have someone for the left hand side because I think I think I'm right in saying that Salah come a season after Jeannie.
2: Uh I think he did yeah yeah, there's, so, a, there's a, a mix in there, isn't he? Because Coutinho was on the left of times, wasn't he? Yeah, and
1: then yeah, and then we were obviously looking at him at times in, in the middle of the park as well. So I, 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 I didn't think he'd be a midfielder and I didn't see that he had the skill set at the time either to be a midfielder and certainly not the midfielder that he turned into. If you'd have told me we were signing a midfielder, I was thinking, right, sign someone who arrives late, a bit like Frank Lampard and, and get on yeah. the end of things rather than any like what he actually became at Liverpool.
2: Yeah, well, I think Lampard is a good shout. And I think even now today, and this is where we start talking about what he actually became at Liverpool. I think even today, there's this perception around Wijnaldum. I talk about this a lot, really, that he was a box-to-box midfielder, where he would be that Lampard, um, maybe a bit more deeper than the Deli Alley, but he would offer penetration in one penalty box and he would be defending in in, in the other penalty box. And he'd be up and down all day. Um and I think that reputation kind of stems from the big moments that he delivered in a red shirt. That's I think, not
1: his... No, that wasn't, like, his game.
2: No, no. I mean, I think the big one for me, the big first one was probably Middlesbrough, wasn't it? Do you remember that game?
1: The one where we, we got into the top four.
2: Yeah, that was the game we needed. Do you remember? Yeah. We needed to win that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he broke the deadlock around half-time, or something like that, wasn't he?
1: Was that the one where it was coming across and he... He sort of catches it sweet past the goalkeeper. Is that that goal? Yeah, yeah,
2: it goes high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. He gets um, a touch on it, but it's he just catches it too sweet, doesn't he? Yeah.
2: yeah, and it was a game when we played Manchester City at Anfield. We weren't that great at this point, but he scored the only goal of the game. It was a header from like the edge of the box, actually. Was that um,
1: on like, the 2nd of January? Was it one of them ones? Man? Yeah, yeah, uh,
2: I think so. Yeah. It was a 1-0 win. We were still in the warrior kit, I think. It was a kit, like. Um, Terrible, <laughs> and then further down the line, obviously we've got the the big Barcelona performance where he scores twice, um, changes the game almost single handedly and again does that arrive and late in the penalty box thing. Well,
1: take it back to the season
2: before. You yeah. know
1: that's the semi final of the Champions League one year. The year before he edges into the semi into the final of the Champions League because we go to Kiev off the back of his goal against Roma.
2: Yeah, that you was
1: know it, yeah. so there's another one to add to it, and they saw well, that adds to the mystique of Genie Wijnaldum, the box to box midfielder. But if you sat there and watched him game in game out, I couldn't tell you that that's what he was.
2: No, well that's what that moves us on to our next point really, and this is kind of, I suppose, the evidence for me as to what he actually was week to week, not just in these big moments where we needed them and Clock kind of maybe whispers in his ear, listen start getting forward. Most weeks this is what Wine Alden was for me. Um and this you're gonna see the first visualization now. Um and this is just keeping the ball and passing it forward. Right. So this the last of that in terms of passing it forward I'm gonna to touch on of them really wasn't really one of those players. Um but keeping the ball he was a master of. This is 2020-21 season, so that was his last one, wasn't it? Yeah. That was his final season at Liverpool. This is midfielders only in the Premier League and it's players who've played at least 900 minutes. And as you can see, Wijnaldum there, I think he's if he's not top, he's second top for pass completion. Just basic vanilla, keeping the ball, finding a teammate with passes and things like that. That was what Wijnaldum was a master of. But in terms of moving the ball forward, which is on the bottom axis, progressive passes, nowhere near as much. Uh, Obviously, you've got the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandes, Jordi Tillemans. James Milner a bit of a surprise? or No,
1: because he played at full-back quite often. Yeah,
2: I was going to say that, actually.
1: Um, Kurt Jones wasn't actually a surprise either, Hmm. but he ranks really well because he's a player who always manages to keep the ball and he does progress the ball quite well. I know he divides the fan base as well, and I don't yeah. think this season's been his best season, but at that point, I think that wasn't a surprise to me. But Milner's, Milner and people who can play full-back and stuff quite often turn up in the wrong places on these categories and that, don't they?
2: Yeah. One thing I will say as well about Curtis Jones is, I think in comparison to all the other names on there, I think he just about made the minutes grade. So he's benefited there from... A, if he's playing the same amount of time as Wijnaldum, maybe he drops back a little bit into the group. Um, but for me... That kind of captures what Wijnaldum was about most seasons for Liverpool, most weeks. In that, his primary role for me was just kind of establish control for Liverpool, um, solid positioning and basically present the likes of Trent, Salah, Mane, Firmino with a platform to take risks where they won't be punished at the opposite end. Keep the ball for Liverpool, balance. All that kind of intangible stuff, really, that you can't really put much of a number on.
1: A classic example of that is actually, you know, the Barcelona game where we come back and we, and we win 4-0. He gets, he gets two goals in that game sounds... I thought his best moment of the game was where he had about three of them on him in the middle of the centre circle. Can yeah, you remember I, remember this? I do, yeah. And it was Busquets and somebody else and someone else had dropped off the press because he thought he were getting the ball. And he turns between the two of them and just plays a ball out wide. So I think it was maybe whoever was playing on the left wing at that time during the game. Mm. I and mean, like, that was Genie Wijnaldum. He'd stick his arse out, he'd make himself big and he'd make sure you wouldn't be able to get the ball. He'd turn and he'd move us forward slightly.
2: Yeah, just ultimate safety, wasn't it, really, in possession. Um, super reliable, always available. But um, in terms of his role, most weeks, it was just kind of like, give us a safety net, we'll do the scoring and you can just provide us with a, a platform from which to attack, really.
1: So... so- I mean, this is the thing. I, I was regularly doing a, a, a stats show back then on Redmen Plus or RedmenTV.com, as it was actually back then. And Alden was one of those players where people would talk to yeah, And it always felt like... An, sometimes I think you get this, and you know, it's, it's no fault of anybody's, anybody. He's a player that I think match-going Reds kind of liked. And he's a player who didn't show up on the television and certainly didn't show up in the stats... Yeah. Um, because he never actually did anything. That there's yeah. no goals, there was no assists per se, apart from the obviously the big ones that we've kind of spoken about already. Mm. So why now doesn't really show up in the numbers, is that about right?
2: Yeah, that's literally the the picture that he painted really. He was a, a really weird player in the numbers. Obviously, if we're looking at like events and determining what a player is, is doing in in attack in terms of like moving the ball forward. Creating chances for other players, shooting, scoring goals, and all that. He just looked like a really beige player, like who didn't really do particularly much apart from keeping possession. Um, And on the defensive side of the game, people would say like he regains the ball a lot for you and things like that. He's good in defence, but again, it was he, he did very very little in terms of the numbers. So it's really maybe the lack of context and things like that. But it's still a really weird dynamic. Like for example. Um, In his final season at Liverpool, he played about 700 minutes more than Henderson and Fabinho in in that Liverpool midfield, right? Um, When Liverpool won the Premier League. Sorry, this is when Liverpool won the Premier League, not in his final season. And he, he made 54 tackles and interceptions. Henderson, 93. Fabinho, 96. And that's playing 700 minutes more. So... Just well, on a
1: really, P90 basis, that's well less, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in that case, what did he actually do?
2: Well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That, that kind of brings us on to why he was maybe deemed to be upgradable, really, in a in a data-driven sense. And obviously, we know that Liverpool at the time were led by Michael Edwards, who is a big advocate of the numbers. And I, I am convinced that in, in whatever numbers Liverpool were looking at, in terms of like what a player's doing to deliver a win, I think Wijnaldum, despite being a really good player and despite being liked and um, contributing leadership elements and things like that, availability, I do think on the pitch Liverpool will have deemed him to be upgradable. And I think they did that through basically getting Thiago in. Um, and that brings us on to our next vis, which is the same one that I showed before, but this time I have highlighted Thiago. This is, again, Wijnaldum's final season. I think Thiago's first season. And if you remember in this season, Tiago got a lot of criticism. Mm. Um, you know, wasn't a Liverpool midfielder and all this. But I, what I'm, what he captures there really is he's keeping the ball almost as much as Album, but moving the ball forward like twice as often in, yeah, in a game. More than. Yeah, like standing out on his own really. Um, I can't remember who that player is attached to him. Then. I think Kovacic is to his left and the player he was with... I can't remember his name, can't remember who it was. Um, but Thiago is kind of out on his own as being that controller who not only keeps the ball for you, but also offers that kind of penetration in an attacking sense. And I think that's why Liverpool moved away from Wijnaldum as the controller. Super safe and moved towards a controller who could also offer a bit of threat when he's on the ball as well.
1: Could it be, Josh, here, that Liverpool, over the course of Wijnaldum's Liverpool career actually changed the way that the makeup of the side was as well. So obviously you think about when Jürgen Klopp first comes in and he tries to integrate that high press. We start doing that, I think I was at the Tottenham game where we drew 0-0 his first game in charge and Adam Lallana's tearing around like a blue arse flag. <laughs> and then 17, 18 comes along and Liverpool are playing this unbelievable, Red Arrow-style counter-attack on football at times, and Wynaldum can be a big part of that. But by the time we move into the 2021 season, teams are playing us completely differently. They're not allowing us to play counter-attack on football. We've moved away from that model. We are a possession-based side more and more. Do you think that came into the decision-making as well? Why maybe Thiago was preferenced over Wayne Wynaldum?
2: Yeah, and potentially by this point as well, you've got Trent and Robertson getting to a point where they're firmly established as proper creators in the division, whereas previous few years they'd been kind of developing that reputation. Um, but I just think overall, from a numbers perspective and just from an test perspective as well, I think Thiago was a very obvious upgrade for me on, on Album, with the exception of he's nowhere near as available. Mm. That was one of the issues. But just as one little final viz to attach to this this point, Um, there you are seeing um, progressive passes on a per P90 basis for last season Mm -hmm. in the Premier League which in my opinion was Thiago's best year Liverpool obviously almost won the quad that's Premier League only that you see in there and it's midfielders only and it's um, minimum 900 minutes played but that is ridiculous trust me the the way Thiago is completely in a different league to the likes of Rodri Granit Jacker, Kevin De Bruyne, Christian Eriksen, Paul Pogba, Kovacic, in terms of moving the ball forward. That is exactly why he was an upgrade on Wijnaldum at the time, because of that just gifted ability to to find the most valuable spaces of the pitch.
1: And when I look at that visa, you know, you can see all those players, and it pops out to be the Jordan Henderson's fourth on that list as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. You know, which, which is a bit mad, because I wouldn't have necessarily had him pegged up right up there with those players, but the difference between Thiago Alcantara and the rest of the field, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is, but he's 31 years old now, you know, he, he's injured again, you know, albeit <laughs> right now, hopefully not a, not a massive long-term injury and stuff. Here's a cool
0: fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: And that moves us on then to by Chatter, I suppose, doesn't it? And I think one of the things that I wanted to sort of touch on here is... First of all, do you see by Chetich and an eight? Because I think we had this conversation a few weeks ago where I floated by Chetich as an eight and we, yeah. we discussed it and stuff. Now we've seen him a couple of times in there. I think he's had a few minutes, uh, a few games ago maybe, he's had a full game there now on that left-hand side. Can you see that he's got the skill set to be the controller that Thiago is?
2: Potentially. I don't think I see him as a box-to-box type player, but as we've kind of captured here, Liverpool have moved towards a control and presence. Um, I think when you asked me a few weeks ago, I wasn't overly keen on it. Um, but if, it, if if this is going to persist and this left-sided eight is going to kind of remain in the middle third for most of the game, I suppose it could work. I mean, the game against Everton. I mean, you were sat next to me, weren't you? In the canal, I, I was waxing lyrical about him, wasn't yeah. I? I was, I was made up. Was with your his man the match, right? Yeah, I was made up with his performance, um, and he's only 18 years old. He's got a lot to learn. But in comparison to Thiago. There's still a massive gap obviously between the two of them, um, not just in terms of ability and experience and things like that, but just also in terms of like your basic contributions. Like for example, Thiago is such a ball dominant player, sees the ball in terms of touches and stuff more than anybody, whereas Bissetic I think played the whole game or 89 minutes or something like that and I think he only attempted a total of like 36 passes, that's like. Salah's average something like that he was was
1: mid 40 in touches I think and I think the game before he was mid 30s in touches so it wasn't like loads what I found quite interesting I was looking at the average positions and the passing networks and stuff like that from the Everton game and it's a very similar position to where Thiago was and there was a couple these are the problems with the passing networks you get two or three different variations sometimes one of the visitors I saw had him just below Fabinho which is very Thiago Mm. and one of them had him just in front of Fabinho and it's like well where is it like you know (laughs) what I mean it's supposed to be a factual thing this it's based on obviously where their touches are on the field isn't it what was really interesting though that Everton's passing network had a massive thick line between the the goalkeeper Pickford and Sims, which (laughs) I've never ever seen on a passing network before uh, which was absolutely superb but the performance against Everton like for an 18 year old lad to do that in a Merseyside derby when we've seen the likes of Gerrard and Carragher and all these great Liverpool players over the years who said go in derbies this was Everton's strength against our weakness, this was supposed to be gone again and Anana and and Decore's game and Liverpool's yeah, yeah. legs had gone and 18 year old lad just goes in there and runs the show
2: yeah well he he did the basics really well throughout the game i thought just you know composed cool under pressure put a foot in he's a he's he's keener on the defensive side than i thought he would be um i think he's probably more of a ball winner than a ball player to be honest so far based on what i've seen um and i don't i don't actually think he's a natural fit for this controller type role like Wijnaldum was a manufactured controller, mm-hmm. Thiago was natural Enzo Fernandez, for example is, is natural doing this um, Bissetic I don't think is natural even though he's technically really good um, quite press resistant and he's Spanish usually you get a lot of Spanish controllers don't you that's just the way they look <coughs> at the game um, I don't think he's natural in that sense but he does have qualities that could make him eventually become like a potentially like a Busquets. I mean, that's a massive yeah. compliment for him. But I think he's got a comparable way about him, um, like a Barcelona way.
1: I don't know necessarily whether he's the heir apparent to Thiago's throne, if that's what we're saying. Yeah. What I do think he gives us is just tactical flexibility moving forwards. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I've come out of the weekend thinking is that. I know that he can do that six role, and I think he might be better suited to the six long term, especially you know he came in as a centre half, didn't he? And we moved him into the defensive midfield role, and now moving him forward again when Klopp tends to move players backwards anyway, it's a bit uh, it's a bit just against the, uh, against the grain, I suppose. Yeah. But what it will do is again, I'm like you, obsessed with the four two three one formation, <laughs> and at some point, I really do believe the Klopp is going to actually move to it. Now, if you are looking for midfielders in the summer then Vajcic is a great player to have in your squad because he gives you that versatility where actually he could play an eight or he could play a six or he could play as part of a two. Mm. And, and I think that might be... if and I do think right now with the strikers that we've got, the fluidity we've got with those front players, the likelihood is we're going to end up with two midfielders and Vajcic can do that role really well, I reckon. And I had a look at... Because I thought we were comparing you know, keeping the ball and passing it forwards, the pass completion and the progressive passes per 90. It's not a great data set, but I had a look at this season's one for Liverpool. And why and, and Bajetic is bang on the average for pass completion for Liverpool and bang on the average for progressive passes for Liverpool. So he even in the stats that we've looked at today, it's exactly what you're saying. He's not showing up in the progressive passes and his pass completion isn't as high as the likes of Gini, Wijnaldum or Thiago yet but also he's an 18-year-old kid playing in a exactly. Premier League side for the first time. He will improve.
2: Yeah, exactly. And this is what's interesting with him because, as you say, he's so young, he's only recently been added to the first team and things. So we are learning about him with every passing game. You know, we're, we're learning new things about him. Was I, he
1: about 260-odd minutes Yeah, played. I was going to
2: say, actually, it's a matter of time, I think, before we do a deep dive dedicated to what percentage is as a player, in the numbers at least. But... Because he just hasn't played enough yet, we can't do it, um, so we don't know. I mean, you've just mentioned it, that he's he's bang average for, for those two departments, but once he's played like a thousand minutes, we'll have a better gauge as to, as to whether he is actually average, whether he's below average, whether he's above average, whatever. Um, but this is kind of the beauty of introducing like a, a wonder kid, if you like, because we don't know much about him. And every week we're learning that he's probably more physical than we thought, he's more industrious than we thought in terms of winning the ball more versatile than we thought, can play as a need. So, you know, it's, it's good science for him. Yeah, but, and uh, so,
1: to answer the question, is he the heir apparent, yes or no?
2: No, would be my answer at this stage, but he's very good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I, I completely agree with that. I think he's got the skill set to be a very, 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 very good footballer, whether he's the controller or not, and whether that's what Liverpool wants, because he might move away. From somewhere else, mightn't he? I mean, you know, we've spoken about it in the past, you know, the the, the way the fullbacks have been integrated over the last couple of years as the creators. Well, all of a sudden it looks like Liverpool need a creator in the middle of the park. Do we need a controller or do we need a creator in the middle of the park? Yeah. That's that where the squad goes might dictate how Jürgen uses Baitic and how he most importantly, how he moulds him. Because I think that's something that gets overlooked sometimes is that you know you can be a certain type of player. Do you know Alden's a classic example for exactly, Newcastle, yeah, yeah. but the Liverpool side didn't need him as a left winger, so they molded him into what they did need, and that's where by Chester's versatility for me that makes him stand out.
2: Yeah, well, at the minute he's essentially a blank slate really, isn't he? He's got skills obviously that we're going to try and use, but in terms of what he becomes, that's kind of still up to the coaches really. Uh, when Alden went from a box to box player to a number ten to a wide player to a controller, um, even the likes of Rodri, for example, playing as a, a DM for City. When he was playing in the World Cup, he was used as a centre-half. So a lot of it just depends on who your coach is, really. And I suppose we're, we're in a good place, considering the the people who, who are going to decide Bacetti's future. Mm-hmm. Jurgen Klopp and Pep, you know, these seems to know what they're talking about. So, absolutely, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what it becomes.
1: Yeah, and uh, talking about what will become uh, of by and most importantly Liverpool, we're going to do the next deep dive over on Red Men Plus. Um, you can use a code to sign up for free, and the code today is by Chetich. I've picked a really hard one again, haven't I? That's a hard one to spell, but it's an easy one to Google the correct spelling. Uh, we're actually going to go over there and we're going to look at Will Spearman and what his appointment uh, as the next director of research at the Liverpool Football Club means. This is a massive topic, really, and I think it's an important one that gets overlooked quite often by... Um, the likes of myself and other people who talk about the Reds is because th- this could shape the next five to ten years. disappointment of who Liverpool are, and for some reason we don't seem to care about it as much <laughs> as the next midfielder that we've been linked with. When this is actually probably the crux of it is the probably the most important thing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, it's an interesting talking point as you say. It is often overlooked. I think if you ask most people, a lot of Reds who were dedicated match goers and stuff like that, who is Ian Graham? A lot of them wouldn't know who he was And the same applies to Will Spearman. So I think these these people, these important figures behind the scenes, almost deserve the coverage to an extent to explain what they're about and how they're going to contribute to Liverpool.
1: Absolutely. So we're going to do that on Redmen Plus. Right now, that is available. Use the code by Chetich to sign up and get yourself a month for free. Thank you very much for watching. Like the video, please. It does help us out. And subscribe if you're new and you enjoyed the content, which I'm sure you did.